Hello from a snowy New York City. It is Matt St. Jean and Joe Howie here for you. We're here to talk some Friars basketball. Got potentially the game of the season so far coming up on Sunday. Not Saturday. It's Sunday. Got moved thanks to this snowstorm. But before we get into that, Joe, I mean, we got to talk about Twitter yesterday because that was a lawless place if I've ever seen one. <laughs> um, yeah, for for anyone who's out of the loop here, who doesn't have Twitter, who doesn't know what's going on, Kevin McNamara reported that the home game against UConn and the road games against Seton Hall and Creighton are most likely unable to be made up. Um, and this decision comes directly from the Big East because – as we've learned from many coaches multiple times over the past two years, scheduling happens at the conference level, not at the team level. So it comes from Val and co up in New York city. So for anyone on Twitter that's pissing and moaning about Providence ducking games, I mean, you have verified writers in Rob Douster tweeting that we're intentionally ducking games. Like what's the matter with you? Don't you get paid for this? It's I can go on and on about all the different tweets that I've seen. But what I think is most important for all of these, you know, if you're 12 or under, put the headphones on or put the earmuffs on because I'm going to I'm going to drop some language <laughs> for all these ass hats on Twitter across Connecticut, Seton Hall. Um, Creighton and even Xavier's jumping in the mix too. Like yeah. honestly, Creighton what, was fine. I usually have issues with Creighton on Twitter. They they had no issues here. <laughs> well, well, you know why? Because if you look at the Creighton players, we flew out to Omaha and tested positive. Like we're not. Why would we fly across the country to only turn around and come home? What kind of what kind of yeah. uh, We're not leaving players that? in Omaha because we want to. <laughs> yes, and then for anyone saying. Oh, Providence had enough players for UConn and Seton Hall. No, we didn't. We may not have had the amount of COVID players that fits protocol, but with AJ Reeves injured, we had we had less than seven scholarship players available, which means you are not allowed to play by the the rules of the NCAA. So if you have a problem, you can go take it up with the commissioner of the NCAA. I'm sure he would be happy to to help all these stupid Twitter trolls everywhere. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. So by yeah, to go through the rules real quick, by Big East policy, to be able to play a game, you need at least seven scholarship players and at least one healthy coach. For all three games that the Friars missed, they did not meet that standard. We know for sure that at least three players had tested positive for COVID, and they have ten. They have twelve scholarship players, two red shirts, so you're down to ten. Three that were COVID positive, which brings you down to seven and AJ Reeves is injured. So you're under the limit right there. But even if you want to make some argument that Reeves was actually healthy this whole time and they were holding him out because they didn't want to play these games, Ed Cooley and the other coaches did not come out of the COVID testing protocol until as far as I know, the day before the Georgetown game, that Wednesday, they, they did not have the coaches to play these games by Big East rules. So, and then the other part of this, when it comes to rescheduling, you have to play games on at least one day of rest, no back-to-back. And these are Big East policies. They handle all of the scheduling. No back-to-backs allowed. 
and a team is not allowed to play three games in a week in back-to-back weeks. So you can pretty much, I mean, you go back to when these games were canceled in the first place, you could just do some math, look forward on the schedule, and tell, yeah, there's there's no open dates for any of these. It's just sheer luck. And what, what the Big East has said is that, hey, if one of UConn's opponents or one of Seton Hall's opponents or one of Creighton's opponents gets COVID and they're down for a week and all of a sudden they have an opening on the schedule that matches up with Providence, they'll schedule these games. But you can't do that right now because we can't predict the future. Nobody's ducking games. It's just math. And I think the the comments that Providence is ducking games is completely like lazy and out of line reporting. And it's the easy way out. It fits the narrative that we're lucky and it fits the narrative that things are going our way. So if you call people getting COVID lucky, then sure. I mean, I don't really know how that fits. Um, but I digress. I, I think the, the kicker, too, is most Providence fans want the games to be played. Like, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm not happy that the game against UConn, who's our biggest and softest rival, got canceled. I wanted to go to that game. I wanted to chirp Danny Hurley. When's the last time that the Friars played UConn at home with fans? And it's at least 2013, if not earlier than that. I don't know off the top of my head. UConn, I mean, I, I know Friar fans, include, me included, have had that date circled on the calendar since the schedule was released. We wanted to go to that game. <laughs> Nobody, We're yeah. not ducking that. And we, we already beat UConn on the road. Providence. Yeah, yeah. No, Matt, don't you know that when you beat a team without a, when they're missing a player, it doesn't count? Did you know that? <laughs> it's really funny how quickly that narrative they they forget that narrative when you bring up Jared Biden or AJ Reeves being out. Also, Everybody's, I think it's funny. Quick. Ed Cooley went on College Hoops After Dark with um, what's his name with Jeff Goodman that ass hat, and <laughs> Cooley brought up to Goodman. He goes, "Well, you know, you seem to forget that we beat Texas Tech and Rhodey without Jared Bynum." And we've gone the past month without AJ Reeves, but no one wants to talk about that. And Goodman's oh. mouth actually drops, and he just changes the subject because he, yeah, it's because yeah, Cooley has his goat. Yeah, and they can't men- you can't mention the the wins at Wisconsin and UConn without mentioning that they were without Davis and Sonogo, and that's fair. That impacts the game, but sure, mention that we didn't fair. have Bynum when we beat Texas Tech. Mention it, it, that we didn't have AJ Reeves when we beat Xavier. If, if you want to talk about the narrative of missing players, you have to talk about it both ways. You can't only talk about how it's benefited Providence. You have to talk about how it's affected us because I'll tell you, if A.J. Reeves played that Xavier game, it might have been a completely different game. He, he drops in a couple of threes at the end of the first half, and maybe we don't look back. Yeah, and hey, the Friars did not have A.J. Reeves for their first meeting with Marquette, and I think this is the perfect way to segue it into this this rematch on Sunday. It'll be Sunday at 1230, and... I spent last night, I, I spent a while just re-watching that game. And I, I had a, an old Shaka smart playbook up, uh, some research articles on what Shaka likes to do. So I was like, All right, I want to try to figure out what they do. And there's the press. Obviously, we can talk about that. But the thing that was most obvious to me on the defensive end for the Golden Eagles, they keyed on the press no, with no Reeves. They had two guys in the, in the paint at all times. And they'd bring a third down. Uh, immediately they were not going to let you get into the paint they were not going to let you drive they certainly were not going to let you pass it into watson or whoever else was down there they're going to make you win from the outside no reeves that hurts and 
I think there's a better chance he's going to play on Sunday than we've seen so far. He was at practice. He was a full participant at practice, according to I think it was Bill Bill Koch. Yeah, I think, um, and this kind of fits that no player narrative too. Is Shaka Smart intentionally planned that? In the absence of AJ Reeves, I mean, yeah. I think that's clear as day. He's our best three-point shooter. Well, now actually, I I take that back. Corkler is the best three-point shooter because games played. The statistic is depends on if you're going by efficiency or volume. Yeah, ex- yeah. Basically, right now, as it statistically stands, it's Corkler, but everyone knows it's Reeves when he's on the floor. Um, Shaka Smart's a good coach. He's been to the Final Four. He know, he knew that if AJ Reeves wasn't playing, that he could gamble on throwing b- more men into the paint, and that we weren't going to make the shots. And his gamble was correct. That's exactly what happened. I mean, a, a million other things happened that game, which is why we lost. But if you look at the the planning by Shaka Smart, he planned in the anticipation of the absence of a player. And listen, that that's just. That's everything that's been said about against Providence this season. Um, and you're right, Matt. Ray Reeves, as per, who did you say? It was Koch. I think Brendan McGare also had the, the video clip. Yeah, so it's, he it's, practiced yeah, yesterday okay. with the team. Yeah. And they said, Cooley said after the last game, I asked him, hey, what's the status on Reeves? And one, if you haven't watched the interview, go do it. Because the second I asked that, Reeves comes up from behind and starts goofing off with the camera. But oh, that moment was priceless. That was so that funny. was a fantastic clip. Yeah, but Cooley answered and said, oh, it's a four to six week injury. You look at the calendar today, recording this on Saturday. This is four weeks. So now we're in that time. People were he, he's got a shot to play. Will he? We don't know if he does. I think that's going to be a huge difference maker for Providence. Just having that extra guy who can space the floor. And quite frankly, Alan Breed is not a perimeter threat. <laughs> No, Alan Breed is a defensive guard. He is not a perimeter threat. Um, and to your point, Matt, I think if Reeves does play, it's not going to be more than 15 minutes. It's going to be off the bench. And also, like, if I'm at Cooley, I don't know how much I want to mess up my seven-man rotation right now because it's been working. Um, Bynum and Croswell off the bench have consistently provided a double-figure scoring pop. Manaya has been playing a grown man 40 minutes per game. Gorkler is unstoppable. And then you have the backcourt duo, a trio, really, of Durham, Breed, and Bynum. So you have the rotational pieces in play. Oh, how can I forget Watson? Duh. Watson, Watson <laughs> anchoring down the paint. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, but I, I think if you do, if Reeves is inserted back into the rotation, he'll be like third man off the bench, you know, maybe under 14, under 12 in the first half. Like he'll come in for a few minutes, he'll take him out around eight. And then he'll be back in some point in the second half. I can't imagine he's going to get a ton of run. You got to remember, like in his freshman year when he had the foot injury, it took him a while to you know assimilate back into the team. Cool even said, you know, this kid's gas. We got to get him back into game shape. Same thing with Nate Watson, his sophomore year, 2019-2020 season. You got to get them back into shape. And listen, it's only a month off. These guys are in good shape as it is. But when you miss five games and you're stagnant on the sideline, your lungs are going to take effect. Hey, it'll be interesting to see, though, with Reeves, because this is a, a pinky injury. So maybe his conditioning isn't as bad as it was that last time. Maybe he has been able to keep running, keep practicing with the team, and he will be able to jump in immediately. I don't know. Hey. That's It's a different injury, and it's a thankfully, it's to his left hand, right? Yeah. 
you know, you want to know what's funny is I also have had a left hand pinky injury. <laughs> you, you, you know that, right? I don't think I did. Car? So quick, quick backstory in little side note my, here. in my sophomore year of high school, um, sophomore going into junior year of high school, we would do like these flag football training courses. And it wasn't like flag football, like for fun. It was like flag football with like plays for the football team, for the high school football team. And um, this one kid who was playing, I was on defense, this one kid who was playing, I think it was wide receiver or no, yeah, he was wide receiver. He was skinny, super skinny. He's playing wide receiver and I'm guarding him. And you know how when you pull the flag belt, it's supposed to just fly right off, right? There's a, like a lightly, um, a light buckle that it's it holds without any force and then when you make the force the buckle undoes matt yeah okay the kid tied the belt so that it wouldn't come off so i reach and oh pull, man and i tear well first i break the bone in my pinky and then the tendon holding the bone in place rips so i needed sir it's called if you want if you're interested you can look it up it's called jersey finger um, but that's what happened to my finger and I had to get surgery and I was in this gigantic cast for like two months. Wow. Wow. Not that anyone hey, really we, cared to hear that. <laughs> hey, we keep, we keep it interesting here. At the flags, you're going to get Friars basketball action. You're going to get a Twitter recap. You're going to get Joe Howie's medical history. You're going to get it all here. That's why this is why you come to us. I know, I know, <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, if Reeves is actually able to go in this one, he hasn't played since the game with DePaul when he heard it, that. That's a massive difference right there. That is a big difference. Yeah. So the the score the first time around, 88-56 Marquette. It was back on January 4th. Marquette has not lost since then. Seven-game winning streak. They, they're the hottest team in the Big East right now, bar none. The shot up to number 22 in the polls. They're 15-6 and six this year. They have six losses. They lost their first three games in conference play, and here they are in the top 25 because they've played fantastic basketball recently. They're coming into the dunk 12:30 on Sunday. John Fanta on the call, by the way. That's always important to note. John Fanta and Vin Parisi. Take but that looking will. Yes, but they're looking to do something that an opponent has not done in the Dunkin' Donuts Center since January of 2020, and that's win a game. The last time the Friars lost there was back in uh, there was a game against Villanova. They lost 64 to 60 at home right before their uh, their winning streak when they, they won eight out of 10 after that in February and March. So, yeah, that's how far back you got to go to find when they lost in this building. And one of those wins at the end of the year, 2020 is that big win over Marquette. They're looking at I mean, Friars looking to get revenge. Marquette coming in hot. What do you think is the key to this one? Not to sound um, redundant, Matt, to what you just said, but I think the key is the building. Um, I, I didn't know that stat until you had told me in the pre-podcast prep that we'd gone 17 games straight without losing at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And I think that's just a total credit to the culture surrounding Providence basketball. I, you hear a lot about Hinkle Fieldhouse, um, the Roll Blob guys are talking about the Cintas Center at the, which is Xavier's home arena. You hear a lot about the Finneran Pavilion for Villanova, Wells Fargo Center. Like you hear a lot about these home arenas and how they're tough to play in. Like I think baseline, like yes, every place that you play in at the big in the Big East is tough. Maybe with the exception of Wintrust Arena in Chicago for DePaul, but 
every building you play in is tough, but some buildings are tougher than others. And I think it goes under the radar how tough the Dunkin' Donuts Center is to play in. I mean, just you said we're 17 and 0 in that building across two years. I think that's a huge statistic. Like, and not to mention the the geographic makeup of the Friar fan base is all New England and some New York, New Jersey, and everyone knows how New England fans are. Everyone knows how New York and New Jersey fans are. And that's not a bad thing. They're just passionate. They're overly passionate. So I think if you look yeah. at the the geographic makeup and the history of that building, like that's going to play a role. Shaka Smart hasn't come into that building at full strength. He came in with Texas during a blowout in December of, of 2019. And listen, that, that crowd was all electric, but it's not a, a, a heavy-weighted game like a Big East matchup between the two hottest teams in the conference. Um, I, I also think more is on the line for Providence here. Like, for Marquette, if you lose the game, it's all right. You know, it was a hot seven game win streak. That's not sustainable. And it started with Providence. You know, damn well, Providence wants the revenge win back for us. It's we're 17 and two. There are these asshats on Twitter running their mouths about how lucky we are and how fortunate we are. And this, that and the other thing, like for us, this is another show me game. And I hate that term because it's being coined by an 18 year old wannabe reporter. But at the end of the day, like. What else is there to show? We're 17 and two. We're, we're, we sit alone atop the Big East conference standings. We have some of the best wins across the conference. Like there's nothing left to show now it's ride it out to the end of the season. So the game means more to Providence. Um, if Marquette wins, it's just another notch on the belt. You know, for us, it's, yeah. we, we have to reprove ourselves nationally after doing it just a few nights ago. This is, uh, I think the Friars, they're in the position Villanova was in a couple weeks or a month ago, whenever that was, they got killed at Creighton. And when the teams met again back at Villanova, they won by even more. They won by 30-something points in the return matchup. Friars, you don't have to win by that much. I think Marquette's a better team than Creighton. But this gives you an opportunity to, all right, like not only do you want to, you need to get the split. You don't want to get swept by anybody, and especially when that second game is going to come at home. But you also, I mean, if you can do it in decisive fashion, that's going to help out a lot. That's it's going to make people not forget about that first game. But all right, you can you can wash it away a little bit, and that's. It, I mean, I, you got to hope that's what Providence does here. If you're a Friars fan, if it was up to me, um, we would completely wash Marquette. And we'd beat them by 35 points and Justin Lewis would have zero points and Shaka Smart would shave his head and go bald again. If, the, if it was up to me, that's how the game would go. Obviously, it's not up to me and that's not how the game's going to go. But I, I think your point is well taken. If we win in decisive fashion, which means preferably a double figures win, I think it makes us look all that better because I agree. Sure. I, I think you have to look at some of the experts and the analysts here, too. In the pregame Zoom for Ed Cooley prior to the Georgetown game, Bill Raftery said, Listen, Marquette's good. They're not that good. Sometimes your team comes out with a flat tire. That's what happened in Milwaukee. On yeah. John Fantas' Twitter spaces the other night, he says, Marquette is hot, but Providence is sustainably hot. You know, like Marquette didn't start the season playing this way. And the only reason they are playing that way is because of a win streak. And listen, wins are contagious and confidence is contagious. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's important to note that a win streak like that isn't uh, sustainable. No, it's so hard to win. We'll see what yeah, happens. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to win eight in a row in the Big East. If Marquette does, then they sweep the Friars. Credit to them because that's that's genuinely impressive to do that. No, but you talked about the way they they got off to a start in this one. It's 
Marquette on their very first possession drew a foul, got to the line, hit two. They're up immediately. And because they made baskets, Friars have to inbound. Marquette sets up the press. What happens? Friars get over half court, turn it over immediately. Bynum loses the ball out of bounds. Marquette gets it back. Easy bucket. Easy two. And the next thing you know, it's already 4 nothing before the Friars have even set up their half-court offense. And that's, this is an aggressive Marquette defense. This is something new. I mean, it's not, you watch the way they play. It's not something that the Friars see a lot from anybody. I mean, maybe, maybe the only other team that does something similar to it is St. John's. But even they play defense differently than what the Golden Eagles do. And they were just a little bit shocked about how aggressive they were going to play the ball, how aggressively they were going to play the paint. The Friars did not really get the ball. They did not drive the ball into the paint until three minutes in. And part of that's because of turnovers. They had three turnovers in the first four minutes of the game. And they were, Marquette was denying everything. The Friars were settling for shots from the outside, which that is the weakness of this Marquette defense. That's how you have to beat them. That's how you get them out of some of this stuff. And that's why Reeves is going to be so important if he can play because when your threes are being hooked up by Manaya and Breed, those are not your highest percentage looks. You'd rather those be going to Bynum, to Horkler, to Reeves, to Durham. And that's, I mean, the Friars just didn't have that early. The next thing you know, you're down big, and Marquette has the game, they have confidence. It's tough. I think, Matt, you, I mean, one, stellar recap of the game right there, but I think if you look at the first four minutes of that game in Milwaukee, the, the, the term that I would use to coin the Friars is flustered. Um, like you said, Marquette came out immediately. It's four and zero. We didn't think that statistically they were going to do that. They were zero three in conference play at that point in the season. Um, and listen, I, I think Marquette was a hybrid offense between St. John's pace and speed of play and Villanova's catch to shoot mentality. Um, you hear the you hear the the, yes, yes, the term yes. catch and shoot. Villanova changed it to catch to shoot so that when you catch the ball, it is with the intent to shoot. And that's what Marquette played with. And then you look at them defensively. um, They had the on-ball pressure of Providence. And I think we take less gambles. Um, I don't think Providence crowds the paint as much as Marquette did that game. I think Providence is better at staying home this season, especially on three-point perimeter shooters. But Marquette's on-ball pressure was similar to that, what we've seen from the Friars this season, where you're really smothering the guy with the ball and then – once it goes to the paint, everyone gambled because Reeves wasn't on the floor. So it was a safe bet to take. Um, yeah. It, it, listen, and they, and not good, only that, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it was good coaching by Shaka Smart. It was really good coaching. It, it really was. Uh, there were a couple notes I had on that specifically, too. So they were coming out. They run basically a 1-2-2 two, two press. So you got one guy up, and he's going to be on the ball. Two other guys the next level who can help to trap as the two more guys staying at home on the defensive end of the floor, which is a little bit different from what Shaka did at VCU. It was a lot of 1-2-1-1 one, one, one there. But the guy that he'd put on the ball, he's not putting one of his guards to be on the ball. He had Omax Prosper, who's six foot eight, he's putting a guy with a massive wingspan to, put, to get ball pressure in the backcourt. And I thought that was super interesting because usually that guy's not quick enough to stay with whoever your guards are. That's why he's not up there. He was quick enough and he had a hell of a wingspan and they didn't force a ton of turnovers off of that, but they were just delaying. 
forcing the Friars to work to, the, to get across half court. There's no, there's, there's very little, all right, Bynum or Durham can carry the ball up and think about what they're going to do on offense. They force you to play the full length of the court offense and defense. And that's just mentally draining for you. You got to be ready for that. And the Friars just, they weren't. So hopefully with a little bit of time to prep for this one, you get the extra day of prep now. They can adjust to what this Marquette defense is going to show you because you're not going to be able to beat them if you aren't quick and decisive. You're just not. The way they press you, the way that they double whoever has the ball. Yeah. If you if you double team whoever has the ball, somebody's open. But that's on paper. Try try finding the guy that's open with two six foot eight people in your face swinging their arms around, especially when the guy who's open is behind you. It's hard. <laughs> it's a reason why yeah, this defense works. Um, and I think since then we've seen Providence adjust the way in which they break the um, the full court mm-hmm. press. I think we saw it against Georgetown. We saw it bits and pieces against Butler. I mean, every team has pressed St. John's us too. That, yeah, every team since that Marquette game has pressed us um, because it worked for Marquette. The, the difference is Ed Cooley's made the adjustments, and I think um, what goes under the radar a lot. There's a lot of negativity on Twitter right now surrounding Providence, but I think something on the Providence fan end of things is that um, Ed Cooley's done a great job this season of making adjustments, uh, in-game mm-hmm. adjustments specifically, but I think if you look at um, overall stylistic adjustments, um, our press breaker has improved. Um, it's not just hucking it in and, and waiting for Durham to try and sprint across half court. It's now, you know, a little a little tag, a little back and forth between Durham and whoever the inbounder was. Um, more traditionally, it's Horkler because he plays the four, but sometimes Bynum will inbound it. You know, he changes it up a little bit. And I think if we're going to transition here and talk about players who are going to be integral to Providence winning, I think Bynum is one of them. I think Manaya is the second and Watson's the third. Yeah. Before we do that, I do want to go back and touch on one other thing you said about catching two shoot. So I thought that was a great point. And I wanted to add going into that game, the scouting report on Marquette was they're a, a mediocre three point shooting team. Let me tell you that has changed and changed in a hurry. In the seven-game winning streak, they've hit at least 10 threes in six of the games. The one they didn't, they hit nine. So they're they're launching the ball. And by efficiency, they're the best three-point shooting team in conference play right now. And it's not particularly close. They're hitting 40% of their threes. And they have more assists than anybody else in the Vickies, too. Tyler Kolek leads assists by, like, one and a half per game. I hate him. That's, I hate that kid. Yeah, he's a Rhode Island him. native. Yeah, I know. That's but why it's, I hate him. That's, that's if you watch Providence, the scouting reporter Marquette then was they're not going to hit a lot of threes, so you can leave that open. And they killed him on that. There was one play where they, they passed the ball into the elbow, immediately kick out to the wing three. And it was just like it happened so fast. And you got Durham trying to, I think it was more so at the wing, trying to guard him and also trying to help play help defense. And He's just not rallying back to the ball that quickly. He's not closing out that quickly. Why? That's not the scouting report. Well, yep. that's changed now. And you look at you look at what the Friars did in the Xavier game, how aggressively they closed out on shooters, and it worked. Xavier was four of eighteen from deep, I think. So yeah. you got it. You you got to rally to the ball like that against the Golden Eagles. I'm really glad you said that because that is something that I noticed and I made note of to my dad during the the Xavier game is how well we recovered and stayed on our man on the perimeter. I think that was the best three point defense I've seen ever out of this Friars team is that Xavier game. So Um, good. And and, and to the one blip that we had was the Scruggs three that took the lead for the Musketeers. Mm -hmm. That was the one blip in three point coverage. Otherwise, 
I mean, if Xavier got a three, it was an off look or it was that Nunji three at the end of the first half. Like it wasn't a set play three. Um, no. So I, I think you're right, Matt. The scouting report for Marquette did not require that three point perimeter pressure from the Friars because mm-hmm. at that point in the season, Marquette just straight up sucked shooting threes. And yep. now you look at them uh, seven games later, they're a different team. So I think you'll see defensively from us that three point pressure return. Um, I think it's actually beneficial that the way you prep for Xavier is you prep with that three point pressure. And now you get to recycle some of those, those bits and pieces for this Marquette game. I think that's yep. a beneficial thing um, that you play both of them in the same week. Yeah, if the Friars show up and play a perimeter defense like they did against Georgetown, this could be a long, long day. So you got to you got to actually get out there on those shots, because also if they're hitting them, then you have to inbound the ball, which means Marquette can set up the press, which means they can harass you the full length of the floor, force turnovers, get going. They're a team that once they get the lead, not only does the confidence help, but it allows them to get into their plays to help them keep a lead. So you can't yep. you can't get down early. You gotta start off hot. But yeah, let's let's talk players of the game. Guys that can make an impact. I know you said you said Watson. You said Bynum. Yep. And Justin Manaya. Yes. Um I'm in I'm in full agreement on Manaya, a hundred percent. Specifically if I'm gonna rank the three of them, I think Manaya if we're gonna pick one, I think it's Justin Manaya. I think he is the most important piece to a victory this Sunday because if you look at who he's going to get it's Justin Lewis who right now is the hottest player in the Big East Conference what, what did he have 30 something the other night it's Am I 33 yeah yeah it's 33 last time out uh, who do they put Seton Hall they put Seton Hall yeah and, and for anyone who was on John Fanta's Twitter spaces following the Xavier game Colin Gillespie can eat eat rocks I was going to say something else <laughs> Julian Champagne slipped out a little rocks. bit there yeah, um, a little personal emotion there. But Justin Lewis is right now the front runner for Big East Player of the Year. I, I mean, if you look at, at the overall narrative and storyline of Marquette and how they've gone on this seven-game win streak, it's because of him. He is the clear front runner for Big East Player of the Year. But on the flip side of that, the clear front runner, as per John Francis' tweet with the defensive statistics by player, the clear front runner for Big East Defensive Player of the Year is Justin Manaya. So you're getting the off the the matchup between the best offensive player and the best defensive player this Sunday. Yeah, and that's I 100% agree. This is this is the matchup to watch right here because he's been red hot. And it's not only just the 33 points. He's had in the last 7 games he's had four 20-point performances including against the Friars. He hit the game-winning three-pointer at Villanova, which we talked about how nobody has won at the Duncan forever. The Villanova hadn't lost at home since the Friars did it back in 2020. They hadn't lost at the Finn since 2018. Marquette just did that. They're not afraid of streaks like that. And that was Justin Lewis with ice in his veins hitting a shot late. So it's, I mean, I, mean, I, had, I think at points had a rough night when they played the last time. I expect him to rebound. I think he'll play a lot better against Justin Lewis, just seeing him again and getting used to it. For a guy who's that's Lewis's size, he is quick. You've got to be ready for that. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole team had an off night, not just Manaya, but um, yeah, your point is absolutely right. Marquette's not afraid of streaks. Um, I, I think it is worth noting, though, when you play at Finneran Pavilion or the Wells Fargo Center, it is a 
severely different environment than the Dunkin' Donut Center. And this is something that comes from fans outside of the Providence fan base too, for the, the Villanova listeners that are going to say, oh, it's just a Providence hate thing. No, fans across the Big East say that Villanova is not an intimidating environment to play in. It's just not. People that I know have visited there, they said it's not very intimidating. Um, so listen, They, the street, they win at the home street. a lot just because they're really good and they win a lot. <laughs> I was going to say the streak comes from uh, discipline on the court. It doesn't come from the environment itself uh, versus the Dunkin' Donuts Center. The streak comes from the environment itself. That 2019-2020 Friars team had no business being as good as they were at the end of the season. And the pink out game, the beach out game, and the Kobe colors game completely willed those teams to victory. Xavier had that game won during the Kobe out and the the student section and the crowd with all the Kobe colors willed them to win that Marquette game. I mean, we, we were, we were up at least 20 points on them. So fine. That one was, that one was one on the court, the yeah. Seton hall game. Yeah. Back. Fans were rowdy. The pink out won that game. So uh, Cooley has accredited the crowd as being the sixth man off the bench and um, ha- has, said in multiple press conferences that the crowd has willed us to victories. I expect nothing less again this Sunday. Um, I mean, in the the Flex Twitter group chat, people are talking about going up. Uh, people that I know from college are going to be at the game. I, I, I think it's going to churn a good crowd despite the, the bomb cyclone winter storm that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I just I just got a, a weather alert here where I am in Queens. I, I've already seen six to eight inches and they're expecting at least five more inches here. I know it's supposed to be even worse up near Providence. And I'm just I'm hoping that there are fans at this game. Obviously, as of right now, they're going to be. Um, but I, one just for for travel, I, I, it's going to be tough for some people to get there if the roads aren't clear tomorrow morning. And to go with that, you, you want to make sure like employees can get there so they can staff the dunk. You don't want to. I mean, let's let's hope there are actually fans at this because that'll make a huge, huge difference. And the Friars can really thrive off of that energy. I mean, Pfizer Forum is not an easy place to play, and the Friars need to no, return the flavor. Return the favor to this Marquette team. This got to is- return the flavor and the favor. The flavor of the <laughs> Pfizer Forum and the flavor of the Dunkin' Donuts Center, baby. <laughs> return the flavor oh my goodness but yeah i, I want to go back though because we're talking about players of the game you mentioned biden and watson i think watson is a really interesting one coming off his worst game since his freshman year and this is i mean marquette really sold out to stop him last time they were not going to let him get the ball in the paint i think the friars need to find some way to get him the ball because i expect him to rebound i don't think he's going to have a zero point game again um, I, I don't think Watson will have a zero point game for the rest of his career. If, if you no. just look at the way that he, he is a player, he's extremely resilient. He bounces back from poor performances. Um, I think the, the best combination to look at is the Marquette loss followed by the St. John's win. He went off for a double, double that game against St. John's and was completely dominant in the second half. So well, yes, he did have a bad game against Xavier. Uh, you, you know, you got to credit Jack Nungy for his defensive effort on Watson. That's not sustainable. Nate Watson is the best big man in the Big East Conference. Not one of, not in contention for, he is. Most uh, opponents will tell you that he is the best big man in the conference. So yeah. on a night when he gets held to zero points, fine, you got him. I, I'm going to use this term till I'm blue in the face because it comes from the one of the greatest Bill Raftery. He had a flat tire. 
You came out, you came out slow. Something was wrong, but that's not sustainable with Nate Watson because he, he has been on the list for the Naismith player of the year. Um, what's that ward? The big man player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's slipping my mind right now, but he's been yeah. on those top 15 lists for the best big man in the country before. I, I don't doubt that he'll be on that list again. Um, but also I, I think it's worth noting that even on the nights when he, he is town, he had zero points against Xavier and we still won. Like, I think it just speaks exactly. to the depth of the team. I think it speaks to the development of Ed Croswell. Um, and Ed Croswell, again, is not Ed Croswell if he's not battling Nate Watson every day in practice. So if you think, oh, Nate's coming off the floor, we're going to get a nice blow with Ed Croswell. Damn right yep. you are. Like, Croswell's going to play harder than Watson. Yeah. And it's a couple things on this. One, a lot of Watson's struggles last game were also foul trouble. He didn't play yeah. much early. And I credit Nunji for that, too. I mean, Nunji's good on offense, and he forced Watson to foul him a handful of times. Um, to go with that, it's not going to... It'll be it'll be a little bit easier, but it's not going to be a ton easier against Marquette because Kirk Weff has turned into something decent. He had seven blocks the last time these two teams played. Seven. It was a career high at the time. I'm not sure if it still is. I think it is. So they're going to – and this is another – he's 6'10". He's, he's thinner, but he's a big boy. So that's going to be a fun matchup to watch if the Friars can get isolation with Watson on Quest to see if, if Watson can go to work there. He's a more than good enough player to get his fair share there. I just hope they can get him those looks. Yeah. And to go with that, one of the things I did not like about what they did when they played Marquette last time, they played extensively in the first half with Watson and Croswell on the floor at the same time. I think the idea was, all right, if Marquette's going to flood the paint, we're going to try to get a couple different paint guys out there that can perform well. And it just mm-hmm. didn't work. It clogged the paint. I, they, they, you put Croswell out in the corner, nobody's respecting him as a three-pointer. They're just going to guard the lane even more. Uh, I, yeah, uh, listen, I, this is something we talked about in the preseason in the beginning of the year is that we wanted to see uh, what would happen with Croswell and Watson on the floor at the same time. And there have been times in the past where we saw Khalif Young and um, Watson on the floor at the same time. Uh, I, the risk you take with that, though, is you put Noah Horkler on the bench. And Noah Horkler is such a versatile big man because he can play in the paint, but he also stretches the floor so nicely. Like, it's very rare that on a team your power forward is your best three-point shooter statistically. And that's what you get with Noah Horkler. So when you put Ed Croswell in at the four and Watson at the five, you lose that versatility with Horkler. And now listen, your point's well taken. That's why they put Croswell on the floor is you want to clog the paint. You want your back-to-the-basket big men in there, if, especially if Marquette is uh, collapsing into the paint. But you lose the, the perimeter threat immediately, even if you have – for argument's sake, if he's healthy, Reeves, Durham, and Bynum on the perimeter, you lose that mm-hmm. fourth sharp shot. So I, I don't I hope we don't do that again. I'm I'm sure we might tinker with it, you know, depending on the flow of the game, but I just wanted to make that comment about how you lose Horkler when you put Croswell on with Watson. Yeah. And this is gonna be even if Reeves doesn't play, if you can get Horkler and Bynum and Durham, make sure they're all out there. At the same time, those are your best three-point shooters. Try to get them in space. Try to let them go to work. Heck, I'm going to be honest. This is a game, when you, when I look at how Marquette played it, this is a matchup where I think you'd even consider playing small ball. Don't have Croswell or Watson out there. Because if Reeves is there, you put Horkler at the true, at the five with Manaya, Reeves, Bynum, and Durham. And you can just play 
play small ball, play on the outside. If they want to guard the paint, then you'll take the open looks you get from three and put your best shooters out there. This is I actually just looked this up. Marquette, they have three. They're, they're two and three this year when they give up at least nine three pointers. So that's kind of the magic number. They have as many losses. They have three losses when they give up less than that. And that's in most of their games. And then in the five games where they've allowed that many, they have three losses. So that's and that's obviously hard to get to that point. It's hard to hit that many threes against anybody. But if the Friars can get going from deep and find it, it, it's just it's going to be huge against the way that Shaka Smart likes to play defense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I mean, a lot of things have to happen the right way. you know, Ed Cooley probably killed himself watching that that tape of the original game. So, you know, all we can really do is speculate and hope that he made the correct adjustments and he has his guys prepared to play on Sunday. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And, I, and I have no doubt this team will be mentally and emotionally ready to play. Sometimes you don't execute. Sometimes you have a bad day. It's whatever. But I'm not worried about the game plan here. I think the Friars have more than enough talent and ability to beat Marquette. This isn't. They're, I think they're honestly pretty evenly matched in a lot of ways. Watching Marquette again, I was impressed at just genuinely how good they were and how good they were at making decisions. They're a smart team. So if they get the best of you, it sucks. But I think they are as good, if not better, than their streak indicates in some ways. But yeah. this is you really want this win. This will help you in a, in a lot of different ways. And with a road matchup on short rest coming up at St. John's next week, that's that's not going to be an easy game. And you never know what games are going to get canceled because of COVID, too. You got to win the games you got on tap. So you got to rise to yeah. the occasion here if you're a friar. Yeah, I mean, my mantra for the entirety of the season has been win the game in front of you. Um, so for me, I'm just focused on Sunday. I also think, too, you win Sunday and you really give the asshats on Twitter nothing to talk about. You, you give them. Oh, they'll, they'll still find something. Uh, no, it, right now, <laughs> right, right now, there really is nothing to talk about. All of their claims are rooted in lunacy. So, yeah, literal conspiracy really, theories. Literally, wild out here. Like, thick conspiracy theories. Like, it, it's based off of no tangible substance other than Providence schedule, schedule wise, and by mandate, by I don't even know how you say this, as mandated by the Big East Conference, cannot make up those games. And yet somehow the, the narrative gets twisted and mangled so that we intentionally duck the games. I mean, Twitter is a toxic space. I, I just. Yeah. 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 And if we there's any doubt about this, win the game, Bob, win the damn game. Bob Driscoll liked my tweet endorsing what I said about the rules. The Friars could not make up these games and it is entirely on the Big East. So, yeah, that's that's just the way it is. Don't listen to the haters out there. It's you're just going to get yourself angry. It's a waste of your time. Let Joe and I do that. We'll get angry for you. That's what you come here for. I'll do that. It's, it's my it's my mantra right now. That's what oh, that's yeah. what I'm known for. Exactly. But yeah, the flex. <laughs> yes, it is, folks. We got a good one Sunday afternoon again. This is going to be at the dunk. It's your 15 and six Marquette Golden Eagles, seven and three Big East play, seven game winning streak. They're coming to the dunk to face the Friars, 17 and two this year. Seven and one in conference play. It's not getting talked about. Friars have the second longest winning streak, active winning streak in Big East play right now. They won four in a row. Nobody's talking about it, Joe. But yeah, Friars trying to keep that going, trying to keep the home win streak going, trying to split with these Golden Eagles. It's not on Saturday. It's on Sunday now. 1230 at the Doug. John Fanta, Vin Parisi on the call. 
you're listening to the flex make sure you're following us on twitter subscribe to wherever you're listening to this so you can catch our post game analysis joe's going to be at the game he'll give you all the first hand thoughts assuming he's able to get there brave in the snow hopefully so make sure you're following us yeah yeah drive safe up there joe thank you my dad <laughs> make sure be you're following be driving <laughs> We'll give. We'll wish him all the best. Again, make sure you're staying with us. We've got a lot of Friars basketball yet to come this season. You don't want to miss a thing. I'm Matt St. Jean for Joe Howie. Thank you for listening. Go Friars.